Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and guys, in this episode today, you know, the way I want to frame this one up is, this is a, a colleague, someone I've had a chance to work with in my new position, as I get a chance to work with 21 school districts and all things STEM, and this educator is doing phenomenal work, their school district is cutting edge, there's amazing admin support, and, and this particular educator is able to have six to seven different preps all in the realm of STEM and computer science at a middle school. The reason I want to bring this conversation to light is twofold. First, time and time again, I hear from teachers that they want to hear more from other teachers doing the work. Yes, it's nice to have support. Yes, it's nice to have the so-called experts. But the biggest value and buy-in from educators is hearing and learning from other educators. So this requires us to put on our, our, our confidence cape and do just that, and that's sharing. And so Terry, who you're going to hear from here in just a little bit, was brave enough to share a glimpse into her classroom. She was nice enough to shoot pictures and video, which you're going to see links in the show notes so you can actually see her space, her classroom. So when she's talking about it, you can get some visuals. But more importantly, she she's letting you know how she does it. She's not saying that she's perfect. She's not saying that she's the expert. But this is what she's doing. And I think we need more of that. And so if you know of any educators that, that have a story to, to tell, Reach out to me. Let me know. I would love to pick the brain because the more teacher voices we can get, the stronger education can be. Guys, I hope you really enjoy this episode. It, it, it's my pleasure to have a chance to work with her and, and kind of provide support in the back behind the scenes. But she doesn't need much of that because she, she's phenomenal. She's an educator just doing her thing and, and making it happen. So, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode as we take a look at how do we create classrooms around the theme of STEM, how do we manage it, what do we do with the materials, how do we shuffle in between passing periods, and what do we do with a lot of different preps. You're going to learn from Terry here in this episode. Enjoy. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker, living on the edge of chaos, born insane, listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and we are back with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. Um, in this episode, I know I say it with every single one, super excited to have this next guest on. Um, I've had the opportunity to do some work with her and, and, and see her work in action, and she is, is, is making it work. And so I think so many oftentimes we hear all these great ideas, uh, it sounds so much uh, what I call theory land, like it's good to read about and, and, and talk about, but then how do you actually make it happen for that for that educator? And so um, this person's making it happen. So uh, without further ado, Terry, why don't you introduce um, who you are and uh, what you do and we can, so we can dive into the good details here. Perfect. So my name is Terry Smith. I um, work in DeWitt at Central DeWitt Community Schools in Iowa. Um, I've been doing middle school STEM now for four years. Before that, I was elementary art. Um, so yeah, it kind of ties together really nice stem and art actually so it works out really well yeah and so i think maybe we start there because i know a lot of people that i talk to they don't naturally go to school to become a a stem teacher like this is kind of like this new field for a lot of schools and so um 
what was your journey? How did you move from from art to STEM? Which I think is a really exciting aspect because oftentimes the the, the art aspect does get left out of a lot of this work. Um, but how did you find that transition of going? This is something that I want to do. Um, so I was like I said, I was an elementary art teacher in this district for for uh, for twelve years and. Um, I kind of wanted to do something different. I didn't know exactly what I just, I didn't, I wanted to do a little more and I didn't know for sure where I was going with that. So I kind of started looking around, um, within our district, uh, we had this job opened up and I kind of looked at it, but then I was like, okay, I don't have anything, any sort of background in that really. Um, and so I was talking to a couple people about just what it was within our district and it was so new that it, it kind of wasn't set in stone what it was. Mm. And so um, I ap- applied for it thinking this would be awesome. I would love to be able to just take my creativity and add something else to it. Um, and so that's kind of how I actually became this. Um, they offered me the job and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, goodness, I have to learn what this actually is. And so then I just dived in and um, it is actually a lot easier of a transition than you would think. You're constantly thinking outside the box, which is what you did in art. Um, your creativity is just kind of twisting it from not so much painting and drawing, but um, how can you get something to work using weird materials, kind of. So, so yeah, it actually is a really easy transition. So. Yeah, and so I know, like, for for a lot of teachers who, if their schools are starting to create these STEM programs, um, some are some are curious about it, and even the teachers listening in that maybe don't have a, a STEM class that they can go teach, they're trying to figure out how to weave it, like, into their classroom, no matter no matter what they what they teach, right? And so, as as you took the transition from from art into, into STEM, like, what was your process to to build up your skill set? So I know I I can. I can speak on behalf of you um, mm-hmm. because I've seen you in workshops and when I've seen your work and you do some crazy things, um, really good stuff. And so um, I know that's just not like, like an overnight transition, but I think so many times people are hesitant to take that plunge because they don't yeah. think they can. And so what was some of your techniques that helped you realize like, oh, I can actually do some of this stuff? Um, real, I'm really big into just trying. So, you know, like I would see a concept or I would see something and I would try it. And then I went to a lot of workshops. I still going to workshops. I'm constantly learning new things and, um, just what's out there because there's so much out there. And, um, and then I have a couple of people that I can talk to just, okay, well, do you think this is going to work? Do you think this is going to work? Um, my administrator has been super supportive of everything I've done and allows me to do all the workshops that I, that I can come up with. Um, and so that's helped me a lot, just being able to go to these workshops and then bounce ideas off of other people. Um, that's probably one of the most things is just being able to bounce an idea off and like, okay, how do you get this to work? Um, like, you know, I've, I do tons of weird things in my classroom and I like to just be able to be like let's try it like if a kid comes up with an idea I'm like let's try it see what see what we can do with it so that's kind of how I go about it I guess yeah and I think it's it's spot on I mean so many people 
that I talk to, I think it's that having that support network that you can bounce those ideas off, as you said. But I think it, it, at its simplest thing, it's, it's what you said at the very beginning, like you just have to try. Um, mm-hmm. And there is no magic bullet. And I know that's like yeah. the message we hear a million times over and over, but that's the truth. Like if you want to do something, you just have yeah. to do it. And so I'm glad that, that that has come out again because I think so many times we're like, well, I can't, but like, have you even tried it? No, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and so now that you're doing this and, and I know you, you've got several different classes up and running and you've got your own classroom. Like what's your, how, how has your room and your space evolved? Because I know one of the, the big sticking points for a lot of people is the, the management of materials, um, yep. the transitions of kid projects, like all, and I know that's a huge, huge question, but as you've kind of been, been going through this here over these last four years, what have been some of your, your techniques or strategies um, that, that have helped you kind of sort through that, that, that navigation of all that, you know? Yeah. Yep. So my first year, it was a very much, let's, let's float and get through this. And then I, I mean, from year day one, I've rearranged things almost, it seems like constant, like every month I'm like, Oh, that part doesn't work. Like let's figure out a new way. So one of the main things that I did, like I got, this is going to sound cheesy, but I got little white shopping baskets. And so like the kids do like engineering challenges and they know everything goes in this basket and Seventh grade puts the basket in one of my on one of my tables in the back, and eighth grade puts it on a different table. Um, and so that's made that so much better. Like at first, it was just piles of things, and then mm. you know, and I just got like the cheap Walmart white plastic baskets, and those work great. Um, another thing is that my kids know that um, like they have to come in, like just even the the management of the kids up and doing things and going around everywhere. Um, for some people that's a little stressful, but my kids know they have to come in, they have to sit down. I take role. I tell them anything I need to do. And then they know where the supplies are that they can touch. I have a room of things that they have to ask me for. Um, I have standing tables that they can go to once I'm done explaining, um, anything that I know they're going to need or, probably need I have out on a front table that I just have a box that I kind of I have two different boxes that I just switch things out and um bring the new supplies out for like my next class and things like that um so I it's just it's kind of the way I've organized my room I think and that's has changed throughout my four years my first year I just had six groups of tables and now I have six groups of tables and I have two front tables and I have two tables that um supplies go on. I have tall tables that I made this summer with chairs. I have littler chairs. Um, I have a, a glue station area, which has worked awesome so far. That That's just a this year type thing. Um, my Legos are kind of in one area on the other side of the room, and they just kind of know that they can get up and go to where they need to go, and um, they, they just kind of have that routine down by now. Yeah, and so... Um... I'll make a mention here that, that you've been super helpful enough to supply some pictures and videos. So in the show notes, there'll be links to this. And so the things that, that, that Terry's talking about, you can kind of help with the visual. I know sometimes through the audio part, if you're listening in, you know, in your car, wherever you are, it's, it's hard to visualize, but you can definitely check out what she's talking about with these tables and things like mm-hmm. that. And so let's, let, let's dive in that a little bit more. So when you talked about your materials, so do you have like, you talked about, you have like two tables up front. Is that where you have like the main supplies that 
that kids can come in and grab. I mean, I, you talk about a back room, which is like almost like the permission room. It sounds like maybe things yep. that, um, and so that, that table up front, that's the, the stuff for, for, for whatever project that you're working on. I mean, yep. It, so, yep. The table's up front. Um, Yep, and I switch that out for each class, um, just depending on what they're doing. I just have boxes that I kind of put everything in, and then I bring out the other box. Um, they know that those are the supplies that they can use, and those are the supplies that um, you know we have we talk about for that project. But then they also know that um, I have two little like back room areas, and they know that one of them they can go in there, look around, see what they need. If they can, if they find something that works for them. They can just go ahead and get that as long as they clean up after themselves. And then I do have one spot that's like hands off. They can look, but if they want to use it, they have to ask me first. It's just more, um, more expensive stuff really. And stuff that, you know, is not just, um, I can change it easily and fix it easily. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's good. I like, I like that idea. And I know, um, some people who maybe don't have those back rooms, other things that I've seen, I know like, when I was at, at the middle school, I had like just metal shelves. Yeah. And we just kind of had a label like this shelf is for anybody. This shelf is permission and this one's off limits. Um, I've also seen some elementary p- teachers use like, like red, green, and yellow dots on like oh, yeah. cabinets and everything, you know? And so yeah. the red is no, I mean, that kind of thing. And so I think that, that kind of structure, you can kind of built in those, I always call them like invisible walls or barriers that don't occupy space either. Like kids just know. Um, so you also talked about your glue station. So so, like, so how did you determine that you needed a, a station for that? And I'm sure that maybe that, that, that changes over time, but like, is that kind of like a, like a mess center, so to speak, or, or how'd you get to that point? Yeah. So I, my classes are always, has always been full. So all my tables and stuff are always used. So last year I just had desks along the wall and we ended up putting the glue guns there and it always, the, the kids just went over there and camped out and hung out and that was all they did. Like they would just hang out over there and I didn't really like it. It wasn't very organized. They were constantly coming to ask me for more glue sticks and to set them up and to take them down. And it, it just wasn't working very well. I was constantly moving things around for them. So this summer I found an extra table. Uh, one of the, um, the janitors asked me if I wanted a table and I said, yep. And so now it's in the back room. I just have the glue guns out all the time. They're shut off when I don't need them. I have like little mats underneath of them. So they're not destroying the desks or gluing all over everything. Um, it, and then I just have the glue sticks set out back there as well. It's really easy to do. All I have to do is uh, like flip, flip a switch. So it's easy to tell if it's plugged in, if they're on, if they're off, anything like that. So – not just when we th- think about the management of our of our learning spaces, like how do you also kind of manage like like your projects? Because you have like, I mean, how, how many how many preps are you up to this year? I mean, what do you? What, um, so <laughs> it seems I like have, it changes all the time. I have six or seven, just depending. I have one class that is only supposed to be one class, but I have kids that have taken it before, so I'm redoing it so that way the kids that have taken it before can still stay in it and just do other things. So right. six ish, sometimes seven. So what's kind of your strategy of um, how you figure out like what needs to go into these projects? Because I think, the, I mean, one of the things that I see as, as huge barriers for, for a lot of educators is one, they can't come up with ideas or two, mm-hmm. uh, something that you said earlier, like there's so much out there, like 
it's almost it's it's almost a, a worse feeling than not knowing where to begin because it's like it's right. so much where do you start and so that's what you have to go into like all your lesson planning but how have you got to a point i know it evolves and we could talk in two more years and it could look different but right. how have you kind of figured out what works and and what should fit in these classes um to figure out like what's of value and not um when i first started so my first year i only had three preps and so i had like a, a robotic class i had a like a CAD program. And then I just had something that no one really knew what it was. So, um, so I kind of just started there. And as I went through, um, so I kind of decided like, okay, I want to break it down a little bit. I want to be able to have, um, like a coding class on its own. Um, but then also those kids were ended up going through it and wanted more too. So that's kind of when I decided to do like a computer science two class as well. Um, and then I wanted robotics to kind of be separate and we use the FLL program for that within the school day, which I actually love. I get all the kids involved. Um, sports isn't a, a detour anymore. I can get the kids that yeah. usually wouldn't be able to spend a half an hour after school or an hour after school in it because I, I got it within my class day. And so I'm able to hit the kids that wouldn't normally pick this, even though they might like it. So that's, that's been a big plus for me. I've loved that. Um, and so what I started with was just kind of figuring out what can I do? What, what does, what can I do? What can't I do with the money and the budget I have? Um, and I kind of went from there. So I have, um, it's called STEM 7, STEM 8. They're kind of like my engineering um, design classes. So we, we're constantly building, constantly hands-on. I kind of, at first, not going to lie, Pinterest was my best friend. I found tons of things online. Um, and I just kind of figured out what worked for me and what didn't. Um, I talked to the science teachers at that point. They were... Um, actually talking about adding like engineering challenges within their science classroom. That was their uh, PD stuff that year. And so we started talking and just making sure everyone was on the same, like the vocabulary was the same, the language was the same, things like that. Um, and so it's grown so much from the first three classes to what it is now that, you know, it's crazy. What, yeah. what it is now compared to what it was when I started. Sure. And then I mean, it's kind of, it's just grown just naturally. I mean, there wasn't, there was just one time that I was like, oh, you know, maybe I could do this. And then I kind of looked into it and like, yep, that would work for me and for the class and stuff. So it's grown up. It's just naturally taken the form it is now, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a, it's a sign that, that, that you're, you're developing something of power and, and, and really of, of engagement when the kids are willing to take a class again, you know, right. and you've been able to find ways to make that work without it just being, you know, a time filler. Um, right. So I think that, that, that says a lot, especially when we deal with middle school kids who don't normally ever get too excited about school. It's not right. that they're, they're anti-school. It's just, you know, they're, they're right. in that, that goofy phase that they're not excited about anything um, outside of like their friends and, and that right. kind of yeah. stuff. And so, in that journey, I mean, we kind of flipped it on the, on the flip side. Was there something that, like, that you saw or came across that, 
like you felt like it was going to be amazing and it just wasn't and you're like I'll I'll never do that again not that we need to like name drop like a company or anything like that but right. but I think sometimes in that journey um there's things that we go you know I think just as much just like like kids right we try something and it doesn't work and that's yeah. what we learn most I mean well, there's something you're like oh my gosh like that did not go according to plan or that was not as easy as it claimed or you know um because I think those yeah. th- those stories are just as important as as uh, the things that do work yeah for sure there I mean there- tons of like little projects that I was just like, nope, I will never do that again. What I wanted them to get out of it, they didn't get out of it, you know? And so I just kind of tossed that off to the side. And, um, but there was like one big thing I, I was doing like, um, an app platform to try to have the students create apps. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I went through and I listened to this guy spiel and it was a, you know, amazing, but tons of money. And so we tried it. I got a grant for it and, oh, fell flat. <laughs> and so after, you know, I, I did what I could for the year. We used it as much as we could um, to try to get the money out of it that we put into it. And after that, I was like, nope, like I'll find something different that's better, um, that works better for us. And, and so, so, yeah, so, I mean, there are going to be fails and you'll be like, nope, never again will I use right. that. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think that's just part of the journey. I think sometimes we we it's hard to take a risk anymore. It feels like in education, it's harder as a teacher to feel to take a risk because like, what if it doesn't work? Right. Sometimes it doesn't be like, hey, it just wasn't for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you definitely got to move on. You know, another thing um, that, that a lot of people try to figure out, too, with all this is it's hands-on. It's, it's this exploratory. It's getting kids to understand how to problem-solve and, and work through a variety of these platforms. Um, but the hard part with that becomes that, that idea of assessment. And so mm-hmm. what have you found that's kind of worked where it hasn't pigeonholed kids into everybody getting the same solution and everybody doing the same thing at the same time, allowing them to explore, but at the same time having to meet the needs of, you know, the ways systems of, of education are where we still have to give grades. We still have to do these types of things. Yeah. Um, so, um, and we're, my school is just, um, starting to do like standard reference grading. And so I am piloting that this year for a couple of my classes that I've had standards for. Um, and so, and it's, not it's not everyone's gonna look the same um especially in this like you know you can build a wind turbine and you're gonna have 20 different ways that they're gonna look but they're all gonna work somehow some way um and so it's so like what and I always tell the kids like it's not the final product it's the how you got there like it was the thought process behind it the improvements you tried and why they worked and why you can can you explain to me why you think they didn't work? Um, what are other things you tried? What are the tests you ran? Um, it's more that kind of stuff that I look at um, compared to did their car go the farthest or whatever. Um, and so it's more just, like I said, the, the concepts behind it and did you understand that part and why you tried something that you tried. Right. Yeah, I like that. I, and I think that's really important thing because I know that's one that a lot of people grapple with. It's just mm-hmm. how do you try to have the best of both worlds? And it's uh, right. it's definitely a, a slippery slope for a lot of people, depending on where their schools are and, and, and where those, those things are. So as we kind of be respectful of your time and things that we've got going on, um, what's been 
maybe a, one example or a couple of examples, depending on, on what you want to share, have been like some of like your really either like aha moments or, or some of your favorite projects that you've done. So someone listening in, we've got a lot of great strategies about, about, the, about the classroom flow and the layout, mm-hmm. and we'll definitely show those pictures in the show notes so they can yeah. visually see that. Um, but, you know, people like, like idea. They like to hear actually like what people are doing. So do you yeah. have any of those that have come to mind? You're just like, man, I just I, I love this one or there's yeah. this one moment. Um, so one of the ones I like with, uh, like my seventh graders is we build, um, like a wind powered car and they, they build them using connects and they have to follow the directions. And then what, so our goal is to improve it somehow, some way. And so we talk really hard about changing one thing at a time and testing it to see if it worked or didn't work and not changing 20 things. And then just being like, Oh, it didn't work. Like we talk really really a lot about just changing one thing at a time, seeing if that worked, if it didn't change it again, change something else and about that. So that's one of my favorite ones probably with seventh grade. And then I'm still really excited that within my um, next generation STEM class, which is my robotics class, I use that FLL program with it. I think that's fantastic. The missions are different. So like I have kids that will take it every single year um, because they can and they're able to, and it gives every kid, you know, a way to use a robot. And you have to think about, you know, speaking and core values and making, you know, it just kind of ties everything together. So I do really like that. And so I'm glad I was able to get that within my classroom too. Yeah. That's just, I think there's, there's so much value in FLL and for 99% of people it happens outside of school. But I always think about that, that equity piece, right? Like, but what about the kids that can't stay or they don't have the transportation or, or for whatever reason, or maybe they just don't even think they they like it or would enjoy it. And now to see it, your, your class having in the school day where, where, you know, any kid can do it. And I know not every kid is going to, but that, that it's an option. Um, it's just great. I know there's, there's an amazing educator out in Denver that I know, and she's piloting a, her school's piloting a program this year. Um, it's a half day class of FLL, but she, but there's three teachers in the room. I think it's, and I might have this a little, little off, but Mm -hmm. it's her, a language arts teacher and like a math teacher. And they're doing all the standards through the FLL season. And and they're doing this research pod to see like, does it work? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, it absolutely should work because you're you're using all that, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. Um, So on the last little note here, is there anything that, that we've left out or we, we haven't, I haven't asked a question on that you think would be really valuable for someone who, who's in this journey, trying to figure it out, trying to get better um, in, in this, this world of STEM and computer science and makerspace or whatever buzzword is, is in their, their, their wheelhouse right now um, that we didn't cover that you'd, you'd, you'd want, want to share? Um, I think we covered a lot of it, but I, the biggest thing that I think helped me again is that I just tried it. Like, honestly, like, you know, I have my kids solder led lights and I would have never thought like I'd trust 20 kids with (laughs) soldering irons anyways, but you know, like they're actually really good with them and they, they know that if they mess around, it gets taken away and it's something that they enjoy and it's not something they get to do all the time. Um, and so to see like that kind of stuff and just me, diving in or whoever anyone just try try things like that's the biggest thing and bounce ideas off even like I'll bounce ideas off like my ELA teacher like we're just we're friends and so I'm like hey what does this sound good or what do you think about this and you know she'll 
be like, oh, the, yeah, the kids would like that or, uh, you know, what about this, you know. So it's not even someone that does what I do because there's no one else in the school, actually, that's like a STEM like I am anyways. And so being able to just bounce ideas off of other people just to get ideas out there. They'll give you some ideas to dive in, to do it. And, I'm, and you know, there are lots of STEM people out there. It's just, you know, and there's becoming more and more and we're slowly getting everything connected. So that's really good too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, a great note to end on. And so if, if someone wanted to reach out to you to learn more, you know, we mm-hmm. talk about the STEM connection, where, where could they find you? If, if someone's listening and goes, I just want to pick her brain. Um, like, is there a way for them to get, get, get a hold of you? Carrie dot smith at cd-csd.org um that's my email address that's probably the easiest way um and so yeah awesome and we'll make sure we we, we stick that email down in the show notes and say someone wants to reach out and and, and do that and um terry i can't thank you enough for your time and, and to share your your knowledge i know in this area here um a lot of schools and teachers uh lean on you for ideas off and on as they're looking to get things started and so hopefully this will help propel um and, and get other people excited um outside our region to get out there just like you said and try and just see yeah. what happens because that's the the beauty of the journey so yep, um sure. thank you so much for your time no problem thanks Aaron yep